Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 362 with Emily Haywood of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, Nathan here. Welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Now, if you want to know how to create an incredible brand for your business, like a brand that people are in awe of, a brand that people talk about, then you're going to love this interview today with Emily Hayward of Red Antler. So, you know, her and her company have been behind some of the biggest brands on the planet and they've worked with like Casper, Yumi, Foursquare, Birchbox, Allbirds and like in this podcast episode she really just breaks down how that they create these incredible brands, how they work with these brands and how they really think about branding and why you need to strategically plan how your brand is going to be different from others in the market and really how to achieve this. This is an incredible branding like masterclass. You're going to love it. Guys, also, if you are enjoying this episode, please do take the time to leave us a review wherever you're listening. It helps us more than you can imagine. Share this with your friends. Share this with your family. Like We work so hard to create these incredible episodes for you guys. All we ask is you share it. All right, that's it from me. Now jump in the show. The first question uh, that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? So I made my job, which is how I got my job. Um, but I had started my career out of college working in traditional advertising at a big global agency. And I was working on big brands, doing TV campaigns. 
and learned a ton. Um, but I reached a point a few years in where I started to feel frustrated that we were solving the wrong problems. We were being asked to come up with new things to say every year for the new campaign about products that hadn't changed at all. And as the startup scene was just emerging in New York, my co-founder and I, he and I actually met at the agency, we saw an opportunity to go further upstream and to build the first creative services company that was designed to work with entrepreneurs and to really tailor our work towards pre-launch companies and helping them think about how to bake brand into what they were doing from the beginning. So that was 2007 and we started Red Antler, which is still my job today, doing Red Antler. So um, yeah, that that's how I, I got here. <laughs> awesome. And I'm curious, like, uh, you know, Casper, Allbirds, these are some of the startups that you've worked with on their initial branding, strategic vision, and I'd love to go into that and unpack that more. But I'm curious, um, did you land those kind of clients off the base because they no one had heard of them? And like, it's kind of a little bit like VC fund, you, you have like, you know, 20 startups that you start with and only a few survive? Or is that how it happened? You just don't know? Or... So I think that we really were the first company of our kind to target pre-launch companies. Um, you know, even we met a lot of resistance and skepticism when we first had this idea of people saying, you know, why would founders invest in brand before they even launch? Shouldn't they get out there and like see if there's product market fit? That's something only big companies need to worry about. And then on the flip side, we've had people say to us like, why are you targeting startups? They have no money. That seems like a really dumb business plan. But we really believed in the hypothesis that brand could be a driver of business growth. And I think because we were the first people to be out there doing that in a focused way, we built an amazing network of entrepreneurs and, and even investors. Like our network in those early days was much more in the startup scene than the agency world. And it was actually years before other agencies had even heard of us. But we were just quietly like doing really good work for founders. And then they would talk to their other founder friends and investors started referring us to other companies in their portfolio. So yeah, I mean, I think the way that we met the Casper team and the Allbirds team was through that word of mouth and also the efforts that we had made to really like embed ourselves within the startup ecosystem. Yeah, I see. Interesting. So um, let's just take Casper as an example. Like when you worked with them on their branding, like did you work on, like, like what does that look like? What do you think that early stage or pre-launch need to be thinking about when it comes to brand? Because I agree with you, like it is 100% a strong driver of growth, especially as a way to stand out. Um, you look at all the hottest startups and they all have incredible branding, like all have incredible brand. And it's not just the design, it's it's the look, it's the feel, it's the why, it's the vision, it's, it's, it's everything. And I've seen that personally from my own experience, the power of it. So I'd love to know if you're anyone watching this pre-launch, what do you need to be thinking about? So Casper is actually one of my favorite examples to illustrate why it matters, because I think that a company like Casper, it's easy to look back now and be like, oh, there's, you know, almost 200 online mattress companies and they're all competing with each other. And like, who even knows what the difference is? At the time that Casper wanted to launch, 
nobody was buying their mattress through e-commerce. Like it was unheard of. I think there was one company doing it and maybe Amazon was selling mattresses. But for the most part, we had all been trained. You need to go to the showroom. You need to sleep, you know, lie down on 10 different beds and decide which one is comfortable for you. And the founders of Casper had this vision that they were going to launch with just one mattress and it was just going to be e-commerce and they were going to transform the industry. And if they had put up a test version of the site, like just, you know, let's throw up a landing page and see if people are willing to spend $850 on a mattress online before we spend money on brand, nobody would have bought this random mattress from this unknown company that's like so expensive that they'd never heard of before. Like it's too big of a purchase and it was too sort of radical of an idea of of how this dynamic could work. So they very rightly recognized that the way they were going to build that trust and ultimately transform a category was through brand. And when they came to us, it was five founders. They didn't even have a name yet. They had like a working name. They were working through the final you know, design for the mattress itself. So they were pretty far along on product development. And we worked hand in hand, our team and theirs, to build out the entire consumer-facing experience. So that included starting with strategy, like how are we going to come out into the world? How are we going to talk about this mattress in a new way? And where we landed there was that it wasn't going to be about the mattress. It was going to be about what sleep enables you to do in your life. Like we looked at all the competition, they were all in the weeds on their specific foam and the benefits of this mattress versus that. And we were like, let's not talk about any of that. Let's make this about how better sleep leads to a better, more exciting, more interesting life. And with that as our jumping off point, we built out the entire experience. So helping them select a name, obviously designing you know, logo, type, colors, the sort of core pieces of the brand identity, but then how does that translate to the e-commerce experience? What's the photography that we're showing? What's the language? How do we talk about this? How do we talk about the benefits? We helped them design the box, which became this amazing marketing moment for us because it was really visually iconic and people would see it on their neighbor's doorsteps and wonder about it. So it really was this sort of end-to-end bringing the world to life in a way that was designed to surprise people at every single step along the journey. And when it comes to, I guess, um, tone of voice, did you work on the copy and the tone of voice? Absolutely. And I think that's just as important a piece of the puzzle as visuals and the two really need to work hand in hand. And yeah, we struck this very like witty, unexpected, funny, sort of casual tone that again, just felt so different than everything else in the industry, which at the time was very much in the world of pseudoscience and jargon and sort of getting in the weeds on product details. And story? What was the story? Yeah. So I would say that would be the strategy, right? The, the story behind the brand was that this is a sleep company and that the reason why sleep matters is because it helps you live your best life. I think what we're not typically doing is writing an origin story because to me that just needs to be the real story. Like we're not trying to invent that. I think that it does need to come from a place of truth. So you know, we're never in a position where we're sitting around being like, oh, let's imagine, you know, two founders who had this idea because of blah, 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 right? I think that that just needs to be the facts. But we did tell a very compelling story about the role that Casper could play in people's lives. When it comes to the vision, did you guys like 
work with the Casper team to kind of hash what that looks like or like because it, it comes from the founder but visions can develop over time did you did you push them on that like I'm really curious there yeah, I mean, I think in the early days, you know, from the beginning, they always wanted to be a sleep company, not a mattress company. So that vision really came from them. I think we had a lot of good strategic debate in the early days when we were partnering very closely with them about sort of how soon is too soon to start launching other products, particularly other mattresses, because they were always intending to launch other mattresses, but launching with one really did enable them to come out of the gate with like a very singular focused message. So there was a lot of strategic discussion in those early years about like, how do we maintain that focus while we expand? And, you know, we were right there for those conversations, but I think you're right that at the end of the day, those types of business decisions really do need to be driven by the founder. And you know, we can be a sounding board and we'll have our perspective, but we're not there to ultimately run people's business for them. 110%. Okay. So when it comes to brand, what do you believe defines a great brand? If you could unpack that for us, because it's something that people, you see it, you feel it, but sometimes hard to articulate. So I think it always has to start with a great idea. And whether you call that strategy or story, to me, if you're jumping ahead to aesthetic choices before cracking what is the idea that we want to own, you really run the risk of sort of just being like surface level. Like it can look really good, but then you kind of dig beneath it and it's not actually telling you anything new. And I think that's how you end up looking like everybody else. So for us, it begins with you know, you you mentioned the why, right? It's like, why does why should people care that this business exists? Like, what is the value that it's going to add to their lives? Or put another way, what's the problem that we're trying to solve for people and the way this business is like uniquely suited to solve it? And once we've solidified that idea and we have a really clear articulation of like, this is this business's reason for being in the world. This is why the world needs this business that's when we start to bring it to life across visuals and verbals. So all of those decisions are really being guided by that strategy. And then I think design becomes an incredibly powerful tool for helping people understand what the business is about, for helping them feel something in a way for saying the things that you can't say in words. Like you can't come out there and be like, trust me. Because the second someone says, trust me, you're like, I don't trust you at all. But design can do so much to build trust, to build a feeling of excitement or energy or love or whatever it is that we want to achieve. Um, And then, you know, thinking about how language plays a role as well, but it's always got to be stemming from at the end of the day, what do we need to communicate and how do we need to make people feel? Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success you should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. 
These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. And like when I think of... You know, you're based in New York, and I think of um, we have an office there for founder. And every time I go there, and I I don't take my my partner with me, she's always getting me to pick up things from Glossier. And I think of you think of brand, and I think of wow, like they have done an incredible job. Like I was waiting in line to get in the store, and they have the pink bags, and like it was it was an incredible experience, like. I'm curious around how do you architect that kind of feeling? Like, like, are you thinking about that kind of stuff when you work with companies or like, is that, does that get developed? Do you know where I'm going with this? Oh yeah. I mean, so we did not work on Glossier and I think that that is one of the most successful and incredible brands that has been built, you know, in the past decade. I'm a huge admirer of what they've done. And of course, right? Like that's always the hope is that you're going to build a brand that inspires that level of fervor and enthusiasm and passion and loyalty. I mean, that you were waiting in line and your partner from across the world was like, pick up these products for me. You know, I think that it's got to come from a place of truth. I don't think you can manufacture that level of fandom, right? I think you've got to start with, again, a really clear idea of like what this business is all about and then hope that that idea resonates with people. I think if you go out there being like, we're going to be the next Glossier, like, but you don't have an idea of why or how, like you're you're probably not going to succeed. And I think that, you know, that business is an incredible case of a founder who was unbelievably in touch with her audience. She had a community before she even built the brand. She really had a vision for how to upend the beauty industry, how to do things differently. And they made some really brave and interesting choices that were unlike anything that came before. They involved their audience in those decisions and they've just done it right, right? And they've executed flawlessly too. I mean, the other thing that I see happen is people are like, oh yeah, I want to have the success of a Glossier or I want to have the success of a Warby Parker. And what they don't realize is like the incredible amount of thought and consideration that goes into every single decision those companies make. Like they invested in brand from the beginning, built creative teams, like really stuck to a vision and and created these cohesive worlds that enabled them to soar past the competition. Yeah, no, I I agree. Like we we interviewed the founders of Warby Parker, incredible story. Um, So... What about when it comes to cost? Because I know that some people might be thinking like, not everyone is, you know, VC backed. Not everyone um, has a big budget. Uh, what is your take there? Like from my experience, you can, you can like on the design side, uh, from my experience, you can work with some incredible design teams in developing countries like Eastern Europe or Southeast Asia. Uh, on the tone and words, that's a little bit more trickier if you're in the Western world. Um, 
But yeah, I'd love to get your take, you know, like around cost and, and can, can, you, can you create a great brand on a budget? Yes, I think you absolutely can. And I think there are, you know, always ways to sort of figure out how to work within a budget, you know, build a team, et cetera. But I would also say, I think that there's a tendency to think that like, brand is the easiest thing to hack together and it almost becomes the last priority for a business that's launching. Like nobody is like, well, I can't afford to hire an engineering team. So I'm going to kind of just like code it myself, even though I have no knowledge of how to code. Right. Or like, nobody's like, well, I can't afford a lawyer. So I'll just write up my own incorporation documents. Right. Whereas with brand, for some reason, everyone thinks this is the thing that they should put off. Right. Or that they can kind of like mush together a solution with, you know, this team here and that team there. And look, I think that there are examples of founders who have an incredible like creative vision and are really able to drive that. And those founders can absolutely like pull a group of freelancers and work with a team abroad and like figure it out. But if the founder doesn't have that creative talent, frankly, I would be very nervous about taking that approach because I think that at the end of the day, the bar has been raised really high in terms of the companies that are that are out there in the world. And consumers know the difference. So does it need to be expensive? Not necessarily, but does it need to be best in class? Yes. Yeah, no, I really appreciate your honesty there because, you know, more and more now you are seeing people being able to start companies like you've got tools like Shopify, you can set up a store within a day, like, and you, you don't even, you, you can actually go in there and build the store yourself. Like you, you can choose a template, like, like, and, and it can look decent, you know what I mean? Um, so you are right in the sense that brand is so powerful as a way to stand out. I'm curious as well, you talk about some of the moves that Glossier made that were very different to an industry in in that particular industry. Do you think that that is a key component being different and shaking up if you do want to be able to make the brand stand out or do give the brand a different look and feel as opposed to what a particular industry is 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 used to right now? Is that a is that a strategy piece or and is that required? I think it's important to have a very clear point of difference that actually needs to start with product. Like, I don't think that you can go out there and just be like, everyone in our category is red, so we're going to be blue and we're going to be successful because of it. I think it needs to start with a true point of difference, a true point of superiority. Because to your point, there are millions of businesses launching. Like every day a new business launches and consumers have so much choice, so much information, so much power that if you don't have an actual reason for being that someone should like switch or give you a shot, I don't think brand is going to be the answer. But then it becomes, how do we bring that point of difference to life? And brand can be a really powerful tool to do that. And I think you do want to go out there in a way that's going to get people's attention and get them realizing like, oh, this isn't just like everything else. I mean, you know, back to Glossier, which again, I didn't work on, but like the beauty category could not be more crowded. Like, walk through Sephora, there's a million choices for, you know, mascara. 
but Glossier was able to come out and really take a fresh approach and the brand looked fresh and it all worked together to get people being like, oh, this is new and it's new in a way that's meaningful. It's not just new to be new. And what about ambassadors? Like, I look at some brands and they use ambassadors as part of that strategy. Like, as an example, you look at Masterclass. They have a great brand and they've used their instructors almost as ambassadors to build trust, to build that authority, to build that kind of, that feeling. What what is your take there with ambassadors? I love that you brought up the example of Masterclass because to me, that's a very meaningful use of ambassadors in that these are people who are actually teaching classes on the platform, right? So they lend it credibility. I mean, in many ways, the people who are teaching are part of the brand, right? Like that's the content. That's what you're experiencing. I think where it can go awry is thinking that you're going to like pay some influencer and they're going to post one time and like that's going to be your ticket to success. You know, I think again, consumers absolutely see through that. They know when it's just a paid post, you can feel it from the influencer if they've just been paid to do it and they don't really care. So I think that there's some examples of brands that have done that incredibly well, but it's got to be thoughtful and it has to be a deeper connection than just like we pay this person to post a hashtag ad. 110%. Um, I, I, I can't think of a brand off the top of my head, but there are some that will partner with an authority or a thought leader in that particular industry or space and they use that person to prop up to say, hey, this is why we, this is why, it, it, they're, they're using that credibility, using that authority to kind of elevate the brand. Um, is that something, yeah, you know I'm going with this? Yeah, it's almost like an expert who's like a thought leader. Um, yeah, I think that can be really powerful too, particularly if you are in a category that needs to engender a bit more trust, you know, if it's something in healthcare or finance, a sort of bigger ticket decision, and you want to make sure people understand like, hey, this is legit. Like we have a real nutritionist behind this, or we have a real expert in child development who helped us develop our program. This wasn't just like a couple of people sitting around coming up with an idea. And ambassadors like as a whole strategy, like I have seen some brands where they actually recruit uh, ambassadors to continue to promote that brand. And, you know, as an example, um, we the other week we interviewed uh, one of the, the co-founder of Jimmy Choo and um, Tamara Mallon. And she talked about in the early days, the way that she was able to get the shoe out there was like one of the awards. She actually, you know, gave the shoes and then some of the celebrities in one of the awards, award nights, was wearing them and everyone saw and that and that association like really elevated the status of that particular brand. Yeah, and I think that for a brand like Tamara Mellon that's coming out in, you know, a luxury category but at a slightly more affordable price point, that kind of association can be unbelievably valuable, right? Because what it's saying is this shoe is red carpet worthy. You know, um, this shoe is just as good as Jimmy Choo, if not better, right? And it's right there alongside it. 
Um, but again, I think that was a very specific strategy for what she was looking to achieve. Um, and I just, I don't think that there's like a playbook or a catch-all rule that like, oh, you know, get someone famous wearing it and suddenly you're going to be successful. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, awesome. So I'm also curious as well, is there any other brands that you would like to give examples of that you've worked with on creating yeah, their strategy, building the brand identity, and it's just really landed. I know we talked about Casper, but I'd love to talk about another one and kind of, if you could talk us through the mechanics that I find fascinating, which will really help people that are watching this now that, you know, maybe in the early stages of developing their company or recently launched something. Yeah, I mean, a business that we worked on that's doing incredibly well is Prose, which is a hair care brand. And the founders um, had met working at L'Oreal and they recognized that across the board in the industry, there was an increasing trend towards customization and people looking for solutions that were more tailored to them and their needs. But they also recognized that the big beauty companies were never going to be able to deliver on that in as thorough and bespoke a way as, as they could branching off on their own. So they they built this business that's really an apothecary method to hair care where you fill out a pretty intense diagnostic that includes things like, you know, where you live, how you work out, you know, what food you eat, and they create a custom shampoo and conditioner for you among other products now. So like it's literally made for you. So when they hired us, you know, we had a couple of challenges that we needed to solve together. I think the first is it's not cheap. It's definitely a luxury price point, right? So we've got to get people through direct to consumer, you know, believing that this is worth the investment before they can like touch it, try it, smell it, you know, feel it. Um, so that was one. And I think two was that a lot of brands were already out there claiming to be customized but what they weren't actually doing was like designing a product for each individual user. So we had to almost like rise above the white noise and prove like, yeah, yeah, they're saying they're customized, but like we're really customized. And the way that we did that was we actually built the idea of customization into our design system itself. So if you look at a pro's bottle, printed on the label is the name of the person who ordered it a few of the different factors that you had like entered into the diagnostic that you filled out and the stylist who designed your formula. So when it arrives in your home, there's no question that this was like not just some off the shelf thing, right? This is really made and built for you and you alone. And I think that just created an incredibly powerful connection among their early consumers who just felt like this special thing had been designed just for them. And then once you use the product, it's phenomenal. I mean, it absolutely transforms your hair. So their repeat numbers and their loyalty is just off the charts. And of course, again, if the product was no good, it wouldn't matter, right? But I think we were able to make sure that from the very beginning of the relationship, you understood the value that pros was bringing and why it's worth the extra, extra cost, frankly. Yeah, no, I love that. I think there's something very special when you talk about brand and you talk about connection and that relationship. We want to use brand to facilitate that relationship faster and build trust faster, right? 
I love that. I totally agree. And that's such a great way to articulate it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, look, Emily, we have to work towards wrapping up, but this is like been such a game changing interview, so valuable to people. Is there anything that you'd like to share for anyone watching that are in the early stages of starting to, you know, work on their business? Maybe it isn't an e-commerce business. Maybe it is a B2B SaaS. Maybe it's a service-based business. Um, any advice that you would like to give on anyone uh, that is that is yeah just starting early days around how they can develop an incredible brand from your experience or what they should be thinking about what they should do? Yeah, I, th- I think it's about not confusing the articulations of your brand with what your brand stands for. Like people often think, oh, I, I need a brand, so I'm going to spend a hundred dollars and get a logo designed, and like. Again, logos are important because they communicate a lot about what you stand for, but it has to start with what you stand for. So I just would never undervalue the importance of strategy. I think that starting with that clear idea of not just what your business does, but what it stands for is so essential. And that's when you can really hit the full power of design, right? Is when it starts with that idea. And I think it's even more important with B2B, right? I mean, with B2B, it's such a more complicated, you know, purchase decision on the other end. You know, you're you're trying to reach a human being. There's no business making a decision. It's still a human being, but most likely that human being has other human beings that they need to help like get on board and get excited. And they've got to sell it into the CEO or whoever else in their organization. So I think I would see brand as a tool for really helping communicate like how is this business going to add value to people's lives and doing it in a way that's just as simple and most compelling as possible. Yeah. So people really need to think strategically how they're going to differentiate themselves and what their company stands for. What is their why? What do they believe in? We've even, for founder, we've even gone as far as creating a manifesto, which we're actually reworking. Have you, like, do you ever do that with brands? Sometimes. I mean, I think that there's lots of different ways to articulate that vision, right? And I think sometimes a manifesto can be incredibly powerful. Sometimes it's about having like a singular statement. Sometimes it's about an internal mission, right? I think it really depends on the specific organization and what's going to work for their culture. But I totally agree that like at the end of the day, you've got to have an articulation about why this business matters that everybody can get aligned with and that's going to influence all the ways in which you show up. Love it. Awesome. Well, look, our last question is, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? So I have a book out that came out last year, Obsessed, Building a Brand People Love from Day One. So that book is really, you know, goes much more into depth around these ideas and how I think and how we do what we do. And it's filled with case studies. Um, And then just following Red Antler um, and me as an individual, if people want, you know, I'm I'm on Instagram. I'm not, I don't really tweet, Um, but you know, Red Antler is, is out there to be found. um, And that's, you know, certainly the best place that I'm showcasing the work I'm doing. Awesome. Amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for your time and I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, 
and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.